Thank you all for being here. Uh, as Josh mentioned, uh, a lot of our uh, young adults who uh, would benefit from this, unfortunately, they're in classes or some of them are working. Uh, thankfully, we have technology, you know, that allows us to record and um, that'll that'll help them uh, view this at a later date. So, hi guys. <laughs> um, what I want to talk about today, uh, in terms of singlehood, uh, is hopefully what we do here is uh, broaden our perspective of what being single is like. Because I feel like a lot of times when somebody says single, they think, oh, a young person who doesn't have or who isn't in a, a relationship, a romantic relationship, or someone who's not married yet, right? Uh, and keyword there is yet and that's our perspective on singlehood but singlehood I hope that we can see after our discussion is pretty diverse and um, and it can look a lot different a lot of different ways it just it doesn't have to be just for young people um, and in that perspective uh, as we kind of broaden our horizon in terms of singlehood and what singlehood looks like in the church or uh, within our own you know families or uh, circle of influence or even ourselves how can we better align ourselves with the will of God and how can we better serve God if we find ourselves being a single no matter what stage of life we are in or how can we better because I know, you know a lot, some of us aren't single it's been here. my parents are here for example they're not single right well how can we as people who are not in that singlehood help other singles or help other people in the body who are singles to better serve God or find their purpose and see their place in the body. So that's what we're going to try to do. Obviously, uh, in doing that, I'm not going to tell you, uh, you know, a five-step salvation for singles <laughs> or anything like that. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be more of a, a perspective uh, change or, or an examination into how we view singlehood and perhaps that'll affect how we look at singles. Um, and if we are singles, uh, how we look into serving God better, right, as singles. So, uh, four main points that I, I, I kind of want to uh, talk about. And, and please feel free to chime in. Uh, this is a, I don't see this as a lecture. Uh, obviously, we have lots of different people with different perspectives, different uh, walks of life, stages. I want us to have an open discussion if possible, without taking away too much of the time, but uh, I don't want this to be just a closed uh, one-way discussion. Uh, but four things we'll look at, and this is kind of the, uh, the train of thought that we'll take. Uh, first, you know, what is our, what is the usual per uh, uh, perception of singlehood? Um, how is it spot, or, sorry, impacted by uh, the view of singlehood or singleness uh, of society? Um, and even family and also the body of Christ. You know, how, how are singles viewed or uh, uh, what is the perception of singlehood in those contexts? And then two, you know, what is singlehood to us then? You know, how has society or family, friends, the church impacted our view of singlehood and how does it positively or negatively affect um, our effectiveness for Christ uh, in, in that context? And third, what is singlehood to God? You know, we're going to look at scripture, uh, scriptural examples, 
some concepts, um, things like that, that we can find in the Bible. Um, and we're going to look at see from the from the view of God uh, through the perspective of God and how you know, are there expectations? You know, are there different stuff like that? And then lastly, we will make some applications and hopefully uh, be able to apply this to our own lives, uh, no matter what stage of life we are in. So first, you know, what is the usual perception of singlehood? How is it impacted by society, family, and even the church? The rise in the number of single adults around the whole world right, can be attributed to many things. And I think we can all agree from looking at looking around us, looking at young people, looking at uh, even older people, and we'll discuss that a little bit. There's a, a rise in singlehood. There are a lot of single adults. Um, and the significant increase uh, can be attributed to many things. Um, usually, uh, studies will attribute to mass urbanization. People moving to big cities, uh, they're prioritizing their careers. Right? So they may be putting off relationships or things like that. But there's also things like human longevity. People live longer because of medical advancements. And what happens when people live longer and, and their partner right, passes away or, or dies uh, and they live like 10, 15 years right, beyond that marriage or relationship? Well, that is a single by definition, right? Uh, so we have that. And um, also advancements in communications technology and, and ushering of the information era, the internet. Right? No longer do we have to have a relationship that is based on physical proximity. We can have a pretty close relationship with someone across the globe, right? Uh, and and some, some people even have romantic relationships over very, very long distances, things that were not thought of as possible before thanks to the internet, thanks to the power of uh, telecommunications technologies is now possible and a lot of people uh, identify with that. So this rise in singlehood we can attribute to many things, but nevertheless, uh, the statistics are there. No matter what institution you decide to you know, use uh, to, to you know, look into statistics about singlehood, it is on the rise. Um, from the 1970s to 2002, uh, one research says the percentage of single adults in the United States alone has jumped from 28% to a whopping 40%. That's nearly half the adults in the United States who are identifying as single. Um, and it's quite the number when you consider the population has been significantly growing since 2002. I mean, that's a long time ago now, right? Uh, and while the single adults, right, this demographic have traditionally been a marginalized group, um, and it has been. They are on the rise and they continue to be. And no longer are they, are they so much uh, marginalized as they were before. Right? Um, a lot of people identify with that demographic. Um, the age people are getting married, getting pushed up and up and up, right? People live longer, therefore, uh, widows and singles like that in that category are, are becoming more and more. Um, so both young and older. So again, our perspective of singlehood uh, can become a lot broader than what we usually think when we think 
of singles. It's not just young people who hasn't gotten married yet, right? or who isn't in a relationship yet. Unfortunately, society's view on singleness is not really wholesome or godly all the time, is it? Um, and therefore, uh, as mentioned before, many of today's single adults are not really simply single as we would traditionally look at them. Uh, many of them are cohabiting, right? Many of them are in questionable relationships, right? But, um, and depending on certain uh, institutions, uh, like the Pew Research Center, uh, one study or statistics they, they came up with, um, I think the number was uh, 69 versus 31 percent 31 being the singles single adults but in that 69 percent were people who were cohabiting who weren't married yet right or who weren't necessarily in a, a romantic relationship but just the fact that they were cohabiting put them in that you know percentage of people who were not single right so you can see how numbers can, can be skewed uh if you look at it another way our traditional view of you know someone who's not uh married yet or who's not in a, a, a relationship, or whose uh, um, spouse has passed away, widows, uh, those people are single, that number can be inflated further. So question, and this is where you can kind of chime in. Um, how do these realities affect your view of being single? As a Christian, right, as someone who is and you may not be a single, I don't know. But you remember a time when you were a single. Everyone, no one's born married, right? So, <laughs> so you may, and it may be a long time ago, I don't know. But at some point, everyone has been made single. At some point, everyone has to have, had to have lived their life as a single person. Uh, and I don't know what society was like back then when you were single, if you're not right now. But, you know, or even young people who are, uh, single right now how does it affect our point of view about singlehood these uh, realities of our society and their view on singlehood David I don't know so much uh, about uh, older singlehood but I can recall being single myself uh, growing up you know until I did get married but I didn't grow up in the church so I wasn't there, you know, the, the life as a Christian didn't start for me until I had been, I was past single. So I know I look back now and I can see how I lived and I lived according to just how the rest of the world around me lived. And it's, it, it's amazing to me now when I see young people in the church who are choosing to do the right things as Christians, knowing what they're facing out there, uh, if, you're, if you're having to be against that that idea you know I, I think sometimes maybe we need to be a little bit more in tune with the challenges that they're coming across and show them how much we respect that and, and we're so appreciative of them because the, what they're facing out there right now is incredible i mean i'm not saying there weren't temptations and challenges back then either but you know with social media and everything together now it's, it just feels like the deck stacked against them almost and we need to yeah, and, and we can admit that the reason we have so much admiration for Christians, young people who are singles and are navigating through that right now is because we realize, like you said, there's so many challenges, and, and not that there weren't any, like you said, but it's almost like it's evolved, right? There's more, and there's, and 
and it's intricate because of social media and stuff like that. The uh, animated version of uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer has an island of misfit toys, and we we live in a coupled world. So, in a coupled world, if you're not a part of a couple, then you're a misfit, which creates some pressures and challenges and some experiences that are at the very least uncomfortable and sometimes can be a huge burden. Uh, to give you some examples of how it's obvious that people assume couplehood. Um, I was at a uh, checking in at an airport and uh, I was traveling with a female friend of mine and I had to take some stuff out of one bag, put it in another bag to get it under 50 pounds. And the guy there with the airline said, here, give me that and I'll, I'll hand it over to your wife. His assumption was that she was my wife. Uh, I was at the Free Hardeman University lectureship and I was approaching the uh, associates uh, vendor space and the lady said, um, well, before the uh, lectureship's over, you need to make sure you get something to take home to your wife. See, there's the assumption in our culture, because it's a coupled world, that everybody's coupled. Well, everybody's not coupled. And a lot of people are not coupled for various reasons. And it really does, that, that reality creates a lot of struggle with people who are living a single life. And also creates a very uh, embarrassing situation a lot of times for people who assume that coupled world on other people when they interact with them. So it's it's a challenge. I appreciate you dealing with all this. Well, that, that's honestly well. Thank you, first of all, Dean, for being because I know your ministry and, and you can identify with this, and you are aware of the challenges. And, and you can agree with me here when I say singlehood is not just for young people who haven't gotten married yet or who aren't in a relationship yet, right? And it, it is diverse. Yes, sir. Yeah. I don't know. I may be one of the oldest people in this room. I don't know. When I was growing up, things were not as complicated as they are now. I mean, somebody might get a cigarette or a cigar, no fishing. Not a young fellow, wasn't a Christian. I like to smoke a cigar, and I go down to the fishing bank and fish. Maybe some people, because I never did drink, but drinking was the the hype thing for young people. Today, young people are challenged in so many other ways that I wasn't challenged. I mean, you know, we're in Glenn here, but Glenn can remember probably those things that his dad did. I mean, not only of words that you speak, I mean, you're afraid to say ma'am, he or she, and young people, some of them get very, very, they're like they're insulted. Well, my older generation, God deals plumbing, and that's the way it was. But now we're trying to stretch that. So young people in, in the church and outside the church has a challenge. Fentanyl, drugs, and they're so easy to get. We could probably go downtown here and in five minutes have, have a fix if you wanted that kind of thing. So not only young people, and then when they look to the church, they've had these other things that, that have been pleasure, or they think it's pleasure. And then when they become involved in a, in a 
happens to go to a church and it's a completed uh, new dynamic for them and if they don't relate right away either somebody is saying hey how are you doing or showing some attention to somebody you got to stand back at the church door and when somebody comes in you got to throw your hand out right Glenn Glenn knows when I was at Cold Harbor Road Church of Christ we started out with being in the daycare center and grew and when I was left there it was 167 people I knew everybody in that church somebody come in newcomer I would say were you receptive to the visit from the preacher night nowadays churches a lot of them don't do that they don't show the outward love that God wants us to show so their child's in their world that they live in and then it's accepted I mean a man and a woman can live together and that's fine to in their eyes it's not God's eyes so but we it's can, a challenge for so we can agree on that part of the challenge for singles no matter what stage of life they are in in terms of the world and our society and our culture is they have a very skewed view of what godly singlehood looks like right? Amen. And, and part of the job of the singles right, is to navigate through that in a proper godly way but also part of the job for the church as a whole and you know Dean mentioned we live in a coupled world and you know and that's somewhat that's that's true most of the traditional view of what a, a family is or what a ideal and we'll, we'll talk about that too is you know mom dad right couple uh, they're both alive they're both there children 2.5 kids right with a dog why pick a fence right well for the majority of people in the church in the body who are coupled our job uh, is to minister to the singles right to help them and to, to to be there for them to be encouragement to be their family if they lack in any way so um, and we'll continue to look at that and, and this is a perfect segue right because not only do we find challenges in the world in our society outside the walls the four walls of the church but also inside because once again, like Dean said, we live in a coupled world, right? And that, that happens to be the, uh, the traditional, the majority, right? So um, there's a, uh, we've seen some uh, classes, um, probably. I don't know if uh, your church ever did a class like this, but I've seen it. Uh, people have talked about this and talking about their hurts and, you know, uh, disappointments as a single uh, some churches have married and singles classes and you know what they title it pairs and spares pairs and spares ouch what an insult what an insult right and, and, and you know the rhyme let me admit is satisfying pairs and spares the rhyme is satisfying but what you know what is not satisfying is the message that the body is sending to people of different stages and walks of life what a hurtful message to, for, for, for the church, the body of Christ, some, the, the group that is supposed to let people know that they belong, that they have a place, that they have a purpose. What a message to send to those people who are already probably, because of the influences outside of the walls of the church, 
probably already struggling with their singlehood, probably already navigating through all the mud and all the gunk and all the skewed views about singlehood. They're already going through that in the church, just coming and saying you're a spare part or you're not a, you're not complete because you don't have a partner, right? That's a hurtful message, right? Um, I'm gonna open it up just just real quick. Uh, we don't run out of time, so I'll go through some of this. Uh, so the church may not be struggling with, and I'm not saying this is, you know, I'm not saying the church is perfect, but I'm not saying that, you know, they don't struggle with uh, premarital, you know, relations like that, inappropriate relations or sexual immorality. Of course, everyone, we're not perfect, we struggle with that, but the church may not be mainly struggling with those things. And we may attribute those things to the outside world and our society at large. When we point fingers at, oh, you know, they're, they're doing, you know, something that they're not, uh, they shouldn't be doing. They're doing something ungodly. And then we turn around and we treat our very own, right? People who are singles. And like as if they're incomplete. Right? So it's a different, you know, we're on the opposite end of the spectrum, but it's a struggle, nonetheless, even within the body. And maybe part of that is because we view singles as just someone who's young and inexperienced and they don't, they're not in a relationship or they're not married. So we may say that kind of jokingly, but to people who, what about widows? They're singles, right? They're dealing with the pain and the, the, the missing, the grieves, grieving, right? What about people who are divorced? Right? Uh, there are cases of divorces um, that are biblical. Right? They may have dealt with abuse, they may have dealt with different things, sexual immorality. What about those people? What about single parents, right? Those people are also singles. But we have to be careful about the message that, that the body is sending out to people of different stages of life and different walks of life, different circumstances and situations. That includes singles. They are not just people who are young and inexperienced and have not yet gotten married. Um, I think you too, right? Twenty <laughs> first. Um, I'm from a generation that when I grew up, I was single, and it was always an expectation that you would get married, and you were looking to get married, and it wasn't a requirement, but it was an expectation that you just would. Right. And so I think that's kind of framed our thinking even now. Those of us, I'm 67, so you know, for those of us who are that age, we have to kind of let go of that. Because like I say, what, 40, 45% of our population is single. I mean, that's untapped potential. And this is kind of timely because two weeks ago, um, the young lady I was telling you about, that's our full-time female missionary in the Philippines, uh, she and I and Kyle Budd did a, uh, uh, we had a video conference uh, on a biblical issue that she was struggling with. And so during that time though, he talked about being single and the advantages of that. And so I think we ought to be talking about the advantages of being single. My older daughter, before she got married, would tell young people, and she, she told her she didn't have a boyfriend, and then she met one, you know, or met a guy and got married 10 months later. But before that, she said, you know, I have the gift of the Apostle Paul. And I'd never heard that until she said it like that. You know, I thought, wow, that's my daughter. Uh, but it, it really changed, it, it skewed my perspective. That we don't need to expect young people to get married. Then you got all these older ones who have been married. You got widows and all that. 
uh, grown single, then divorced, and we've just got a, a plethora of people out there that are single coming from all different ways together. So there are advantages to being single. You've got time, you don't have to worry and be accountable to somebody else. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's something you're dealing with in your ministry. I know you're getting hit from all these different categories of singles, but there is untapped potential in the church. Mission trips, uh, all kinds of daily ministries and things that can happen uh, where the, you have more flexibility and time to call your own shots. And that is an advantage that, that we need to be taking advantage of. And, and we'll look at hallway as one of our you know, examples there. And we'll look at that further and, and examine the scripture uh, on that. But yeah, how much are we limiting ourselves, limiting the body of Jesus Christ by foregoing those opportunities oh, yeah. or not empowering those people just because, oh, I don't know. I don't think you're complete because you don't have a partner, or I don't think you're ready because you're not married, right? So that, that kind of stuff is is man-made restrictions on Jesus' body. And that's, we're not authorized to do that. Um, but they, thank you so much. Can I um, bring a different perspective to this? I would love to get feedback from the brothers I'm a single preacher and I have been for 20 years and I've had congregations tell me that I'm applying for they said it lovingly <laughs> but in no certain terms they said uh, you cannot be as we thought we can't hire you you would not be as effective as you are single and uh, we're just not willing to hire you were not for the fact that you were single, we would have hired you. So there is a different dynamic for single preachers. So I just wanted to get everybody, anybody comment, feedback on that. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a level of expectations and, and responsibilities that are different for people who are serving uh, in that capacity, but nevertheless, right? I mean, then what are we going to say, Paul and, and uh, Jesus, even you know, those, I mean, those people are are prime examples of ministers, right? Preachers, proclaimers of the gospel, who gave everything they had. Are we going to go back and say, "Oh, Paul probably could have done better if he had a wife," right? <laughs> I don't know if we can say that, right? So it it it, it it's just hurtful when the body of Christ. When we are called to embrace and accommodate and love each other, we fail to do that because of our own biases and, and our the, the, the culture that we have been impacted outside and within the church. Right? And and I think that's a look that's an example of you know human tradition creeping in. We may have had good reasons for why they upheld those, but we have to examine ourselves. You know, with singlehood on the rise, with people identifying more and more untapped potential, are we really going to just keep you know, depowering that big demographic that we have at our disposal, who are willing and, and ready to work? I don't know. But, well, and I'm certainly not trying to re-preach anything I haven't said, but when we talk about the law placement, we celebrate our diversity. When we learn to celebrate our diversity more and more, 
then we conclude in that framework, rightfully so, that the single preacher and anyone else is single from the standpoint of conclusion. We, we, we set ourselves a trap where the preacher has to be married and have so many kids and all this stuff. Well, you know, that's that's something that we come up with, but God can come up with that. When, when we think in terms of the single person, that person is striving for transformation and not naturalization. It's natural for a single person to have a lot of temptations and stuff you may say, well, it's just as natural as a married person, but we look at it like, oh, they got all this stuff. Look, married people got it too. The thing is, for the child of God, we're trying to transform. In order to do that, it takes the whole village, including single people, including married people, including widows. We all, there's a process that we can't sidestep if we're going to get to where God wants us to be. And I'm not saying we're all there yet, but we're striving to, to get there. And lessons like this certainly do help. Amen. And I appreciate that. And, and whenever we have an opportunity to be introspective, to examine ourselves, and to challenge our biases and, and how we look at things based on our point of view, because we'll see how God view singles throughout scripture, how they have dealt with being godly in their lives, in their context of life, in their, in their situations and walks of life. And we're going to see that it's very challenging for us when our traditional view is mom, dad, and 2.5 kids and a dog, right? So let's look at that. You know, what is singlehood to God and how does scripture talk about singlehood? What are some examples that we have in scripture, people who are single, who have been single at some point. Well, once again, singlehood is not just defined by somebody who's alone for the rest of their lives, right? People who are young, people who are old. They could have been married in the past, they could have had relationships. It doesn't matter. At that point, when they're single, they're single, right? And how do we how do we look at that through the lens of scripture? Well, some primary examples of godly singles, and I think looking through scripture um, and singlehood play out in people's lives, it can serve us, right? And giving us a different perspective maybe open our eyes up to different perspectives in different situations where people can be single and know that god expects just the same out of them right and god has just as, just the same amount of respect and love right and expectations of greatness out of people who are single as much as he does them a married person right so uh first one is joseph joseph's an interesting uh first example because you know, we probably know Joseph does get married to uh, Asenath, the daughter of uh, Potiphar, a priest of On, later on in his life, um, and she bears him two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Uh, you can find that in Genesis chapter 41, verse 50 through uh, 52. Uh, however, if you know the story of Joseph, this wasn't until towards the you know midlife of his uh, of, of life, right? Um, this wasn't until after Joseph went into the service of Pharaoh as second in command. He was 30 years old when he did. Right? We think pushing 30 now is you know pretty you know modern. Well, Joseph was single until he was 30 years old, went into the service of Pharaoh, and then he got married, and then you know he established 
a family, right? And you can find this in Genesis uh, 41, verse 46. So during his entire time as a young adult, really, and up until right up against a midlife stage, he was, he was single. You know, we know the story of Joseph and the struggles he faced. I mean, talk about a roller coaster of a life. Uh, you know, being the favorite, you know, starting from being the favorite of, of his father, being sold into slavery into foreign country, and you know, building himself back up, being godly, you know, doing what he can in that situation, and then being knocked over again, being sent to prison, being forgotten for two years in prison, stuck there, until he finally can prove himself and glorify God, right? And all throughout that. As someone who is alone and doesn't have anyone to speak for, you know who, what Joseph did? He represented God. Right? He was faithful. He was godly. In fact, uh, we know the story. He was very uh, actively sexually pursued by uh, his employer's wife. That must have been a fierce, fierce temptation. Not just because Joseph had, you know, uh, was a man and, and he was human and he would have had sexual urges, but also because that person was actively pursuing him, actively tempting him to take part in that sin. Joseph, every single time, what does he do? He pushes it away. He says, no, I'm not going to do this to my God. I'm not going to do this to the person who has given me this chance, right? I'm going to be respectable. I'm going to do what I was called to do. And it didn't matter to him that he was single or married or whatever. That didn't even have a bearing in his mind. What his priority was, was I'm gonna do what God has called me to do, and that is to be holy, right? And he kept that. And even when he was in prison, he could have you know, wailed and he could have complained and he could have, and rightfully so, he was in prison for two years, two extra years that if the, the, the cupbearer if he didn't forget him, he would have gotten out probably. But, um, well, thankfully, God worked his good throughout all that. But nevertheless, Joseph was stuck in prison for two years and never once does the Bible, the scripture, record him as sinning against God. But Joseph's actually one of those rare examples, and this is why he's an excellent uh, type of Jesus, is we don't see him sinning. I'm not saying, you know, I'm saying scripture saying he was perfect, but he's a great example of someone who kept that faith throughout all the, uh, the turmoils of life. And to think that he did that while he was a young man who was single. And it's a great example for those of us who are in that stage of life where, you know, we haven't hit that midlife yet, right? Maybe we're looking for a partner. I don't know. Point is, his priority was clear. And it was, I'm a child of God. No matter what life presses on to me. And another example, Jeremiah. This is an interesting one because he was commanded not to marry. In fact, not only was he not they were commanded not to marry, he was also commanded not to go to weddings or funerals or any kind of other occasions, right? Talk about a life of loneliness. And that is, you know, as we know the story of Jeremiah, that is one of the big challenges that he faced in his ministry. No one listened to him. No one was on his side. Even his family was against him. Right? Uh, a lot of times, you know, as, as we 
become couples and partner up, if that is our calling in life, you know, we find a lot of comfort and refuge in our partners in times of hardship. Jeremiah was commanded not to have that. What a tough, tough, challenging calling that he had to answer. And yet he did. Now, Jeremiah, you know, in places like chapter 12 and chapter 15, you see him crying to God, God, why is this happening to me? You know, it would have been better if I were not born, right? Why'd you do this to me, God? And every time God answers him, you know, we call it Jeremiah's complaint. I, I would like to kind of challenge that, but that's that's a side note. But um, God answers him gracefully with mercy and understanding. Jeremiah, I know you're struggling. I'm with you. I'm right there with you. In fact, I will be with you always to deliver you, right? to save you. Uh, there are a few reasons, you know, there's some reasons why we can uh, gather from reading through Jeremiah's story and his ministry, why God probably commanded Jeremiah once. Uh, it's almost like uh, he's like the opposite of Hosea. God commanded Hosea to marry someone who would be unfaithful to him, right, and have, have uh, establish a family to kind of teach him uh, this lesson that he would internalize, that he would be able to convey to the uh, uh, to his people um, that reflected their relationship with God. Right? So much the same way with Jeremiah. God commands him not to uh, marry or have family, perhaps because it was that lesson that Jeremiah wants to teach the people that no matter what happens, and Jeremiah was at the tail end of uh, Judah's uh, time of independence, right? Uh, Jeremiah, the lesson that he internalized was that even when you're alone, even when you're challenged, even when everyone, the world is against you, God's going to be with you if you are with him, right? And perhaps God was trying to teach him that lesson. And another thing is, Jeremiah was going, going to live through a very terrible time for Judah and, and the Hebrew people, right? Families would have been torn uh, and all of that. And God was perhaps sparing him from that. So we see that, and then running out of time, but... You know, we see examples like in Luke chapter 2, verse 36 through 38, the prophetess Anna, right? She was a widow, right? From virgin uh, to um, the death of her husband, seven years she had that marriage. But the rest of that time, and, and she was, uh, she lived to 84 years old. What a long widowhood that she lived. But you know what she did? She never backed down. She didn't stop serving God. In fact, she was a, a, a staunch walk worker. God in the temple. So that's an example of someone who is older, someone who is widow, and they're single, and they're still in the service of God. And we have examples like John the Baptist, Paul, Jesus, people who are defined by their ministry and their love for others and their calling to be servants of God, proclaiming the gospel. That was their main drive for life, right? And we, we were about in 1 Corinthians, Paul's uh, opinion about you know, being single. Um, Paul says in chapter 7, you know, if he could have his way, then everyone would be single or whatever, right? So they can focus on the work. Uh, now, that's Paul's opinion, but it has a point, right? People who are single, like you said, has that distinct advantage. They don't have to worry about, um, not that it's bad, but they don't have to worry about a spouse. They don't have to worry about kids. They don't have those 
I hate to say it like this, but distractions, right? But can we agree everything outside of God is a distraction? So, or it can be, it has the potential to be. So, I hope that, we run out of time, but I hope that you can see when we look through scripture, we see these examples that God has an expectation for singles. And guess what? It's not any different than the expectations He has for everyone else. For married people, for whatever you're saying, like that is the point that I want to get, or I want you guys to get away from this. Is that no matter what stage of life you are in, no matter what walk of life, situation, circumstance, it doesn't matter. God expects just the same out of you as anyone else. If you find yourself being a single, serve Him with all you have. Be thankful to God that you don't have the distractions that other people may have, and use that to your advantage. If you are not single, if you're married or if you're in a relationship and you're in the body of Christ, encourage singles, right? Show them that they have that advantage. Remind them that they are still a child of God, all the same. And God expects just the same, if not more, out of them, out of their singlehood. Right. Basically, both sides has to reach out to each other. Exactly. Because we're one. Exactly. Amen. We're one. And when we can realize that and when we can mesh, and like when I said in his class, find our purpose and place in God and find that peace and that unity, that's when we can really tap into the full potential of the body of Christ. Until we do that, we're going to be divided. Our biases, our, our challenges, it's going to divide us. And we have to overcome that, whether you're a single or not. Uh, quickly, I would like to say that, you know, the single people, uh, right, when they lost the relationship, and there are tons of brothers and sisters who remain faithful even with the difficulty of living as a single so what we as the body of Christ have to do is to show our respect to them and we have to appreciate their you know faithfulness to the Lord and, and, and staying morally according to the word of God. And also we have to acknowledge that their efforts you know, to remain faithful to God, not getting into you know immoral things. So singleness is something that we have to also uh, respect. And, and Paul and you know in the passage first Corinthians chapter seven, he, he admits that there are challenges, right? there are potentials for immorality uh, with being a single. And that's true, I mean, but again, that's true for everything. So what we have to do is we need to be respectful, we need to understand, we need to be even more caring, right? Encouraging. Should we love one another. Exactly, and when we love one another and when we become meshed into one body. And at the point that's found their purpose, a single preacher can preach in the congregation and there won't be a problem. We have to make sure that our expectations, our human expectations and conditions don't create create problems where they weren't supposed to exist in the No. Whether it be on a preacher, on a, a single youth, uh, a widow person, a single parent, you know, 
like you said, you're absolutely right. Every stage along there has unique opportunities and ways that they can serve God. And as a church, we need to make sure that you know everybody is nurturing everyone, whatever whatever situation. They're in. David, you've done a great job. Let me say that up front. Uh, I wanted to mention one thing. Both in the secular culture and in the church culture, we need to be really careful about not pushing people into marriage, thinking that that is an obligation that they have because of their singlehood, maybe singlehood and age or just singlehood. Um, there's a book called Fit to be Tied. Uh, I could quote almost exactly a section out of that book. I used it in premarital counseling for many years. Me too. The most miserable people in the world are not single people who want to be married, but married people who realize their marriage is a mistake. The most miserable people in the world are not single people who want to be married, but married people who realize their marriage was a mistake. It's a whole lot better to be single than to be married in a mistake. So we need to be careful about not pushing people of any age into this expectation of being married. Well, I in the yeah. same sense of helping young Christians find good mates. Yes. Yeah. Our expectation used to be be a person of God. That's right. And that's it. That's all there is to it. Not, aren't we married to Christ first? <laughs> exactly. So, we're not nuns or anything, but you know, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, that is our yeah. primary. But we're the bride of Christ, so exactly. individually, all of us are married to Christ. That's right. There's a lady named Linda Brock uh, up in Nashville, I guess down in Nashville, from here. Uh, she wrote a book called My Second Husband, it's on my vendor space that I have for the Widowhood Workshop Ministry. My Second Husband, uh, she had a uh, not so happy marriage that ended in a uh, divorce. And she wrote that book after she'd experienced the trauma of going through divorce, my second husband. And it's really kind of consistent with the perspective of, you know, shouldn't we think about being married to the Lord anyway? Yeah, that's the KFC thing. We talked about Burger King. I didn't finish the KFC on that. KFC means Kingdom First Christian. I'm not talking about chicken. <laughs> it's not about chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard you so. But it is time. Thanks so but much. It is time to eat.